The scripture reading this morning will be from 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. And that is on page 1076 in the Pew Bible. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should, be, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It is good to be here this morning. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Anatomy. My family, my responsibility. Look forward to digging a little bit deeper into the book of 1 Peter as we also dig deeper into what it is that makes up a strong spiritual relationship. Whether it's with God or it's with our family or even with our community and even with our government. Peter gives us some tremendous insight. I want to encourage you to come back tonight though and see a very practical lesson. You might be intrigued by this. What about 40 reasons why people don't like you? Well, maybe, I don't know if they do or don't like you. But if they don't like you, it very well could be that we'll cover at least one, if not several reasons, that it might be uh, that you agitate people and you aggravate people. And the flip side of that that is, if we could learn not to do these things, we probably would be a big and greater blessing to so many people in our lives. And so we'll look at some of the wisdom tonight that we could learn about how to better have relationships with others. As we consider this theme of digging deeper this morning, uh, perhaps many of you probably saw the deputy, Matt uh, Boucher, in Farmington, Utah. And he was running radar on a state road and received the call through dispatch that there was a reckless driver that was going very, very slow on the interstate this past week in Farmington, Utah. And he jumps over onto I-15 and he quickly identifies this car that is just creeping along. He noticed the driver slumped over the steering wheel unconscious. He, he gets as close to the car as he can on the interstate. He, he puts his car in park and he jumps out and he begins to chase the car. Uh, The door was locked, but fortunately the window was down. And so in a split second, he had to make a decision. Do I risk putting my upper body in this car, not knowing the situation? What if this person takes off at a high rate of speed? Or what if I put my upper body in this car and this person attacks me? And without hesitation, he did put his upper body in the car. He put the car in park, pulled the emergency brake out, and he began to assist not only the driver that was unconscious, but also the three-year-old uh, little girl that was strapped in the back seat. The story has a good ending. But what was interesting in an interview that uh, was done with the deputy, he was questioned about the risk that he took. And he stated that those things went through his mind, and he said, but I would do it all over again. He said, you see, 
It's my job. That's what we're supposed to do. As a Christian, do you understand that Christianity comes with responsibilities and our responsibilities weigh heavily upon our relationships? And when those responsibilities carry risk and great sacrifice, do we have the same attitude as the officer that says, sure, I know the risk, I'm aware of the sacrifices, I'm willing to suffer, it's my job. I'm a Christian. That's what Christians do. Authority is something that we're usually pretty cool with it as long as we are the one in control. But isn't it interesting that the very first thing that the Lord says that He wants us to do to follow Him, in Matthew the 16th chapter and verse 24, when Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Now think about the four phrases there that all point to submissiveness. First He says, If anyone will come after Me, In other words, are we willing to start following Jesus and not follow ourselves? He says, if you want to do that, let me make it real clear. You are going to have to deny yourself. It'll be your will, the next, the third phrase, crucified. Take up your cross, crucify your self-will in order to become a follower of me. In other words, it would be hard for the Lord to speak more frequently in a short verse about submissiveness than what he did when he called individuals to become followers of him. But you see, from the very beginning of our human race, we've struggled with this. You remember in Genesis, the third chapter, we have Eve and Satan is talking to her. And she's already explained, we can't eat of the fruit that's in the tree in the midst of the garden. And Satan is explaining to her through lies why she can. And so here's the explanation. Look in Genesis 3 and 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice, they didn't become more like God in the way that Satan had presented it. You see, once they ate of that fruit, they became sinful, ashamed, and literally hiding in a broken relationship. That wasn't more like God. And when it says there at the end of the verse, knowing good and evil, they didn't know more about what was good and what was bad. Think about it. We do not have to sin in order to know more about sin. They knew before they ate of that fruit, you're not to eat of that fruit that's in the midst of the garden. You know what they knew after they ate that fruit? We shouldn't have eaten the fruit that was in the midst of the garden. They didn't know more. Now what they experienced was they experienced consequences that was not better. And so what we have here is is the very first scenario, if you will, with how is Satan going to tempt the human race... And how's he going to tempt us? Hey, would you like to be your own God? There's no reason for you to have a God ruling over you. If he says, don't do something, be your own God and become as smart as him. Become your own God. Listen, don't be submissive. You be the authority. You'll like it a lot better. And wow. Have we bought into that as a human race, hook, line, and sinker, that if I can just be my own authority, whether I'm dealing with you, or if we're dealing with government, or if we're dealing in our workplace, 
or if we're dealing with our family, or if we're dealing with our relationship with God, just let me be God and we will all be happier. When we go to Isaiah, the 14th chapter, this is debated about whether or not this is singularly talking about Babylon, or is this also talking about Satan as well? I don't care to get in that debate. Either way, by application, the point can be made this morning. You remember early in the book of Genesis, we see the Babylonians wanting to build a tower all the way up into heaven. Notice the mindset that is spoken of here in Isaiah, the 14th chapter, in verse 11. He says, your pomp has brought you down to Sheol. In other words, see, it was pride. I want to be. I want to be God. I don't want God. I want to be God. I I don't want to submit. I want to reign. And so in verse 12, look at that. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Some of the older manuscripts don't have Lucifer there, and that's why there's a debate about whether or not this is about Satan. Let's go to verse 13, the next slide. For you have said in your heart, and I'd like for you to notice five times he says, I will. Notice it's my will against God's will. And so he says... I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also set on the mount of the congregation of the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Now notice there when he says most like the most high, he wasn't saying I want to conform my life into the characteristics of God's holiness as we studied last week. It wasn't that at all. It was saying I want to take the place of the most high. And that's why oftentimes we think of this being Satan because you remember when he gave the qualifications of the elders, we know that it was pride that caused him to fall. We know that he was wanting to one-up, if you will, God. He was not wanting to submit to God. He was wanting to become God. We have had a problem with authority for a long time. As we look deep into the anatomy of relationships, dissecting submissiveness for better relationships is something that you probably will never hear outside the confines of Scripture. What's the difference in a good secular relationship and a good spiritual relationship? A good spiritual relationship understands that not only in the depths of it is submissiveness, but it runs through the very veins of every part of Christian living. And every relationship of which we're involved in. I think about a book, 12 Principles to well, Healthy or Well Living by Tommy Nelson. And he, he gave an illustration that I was reading this past week. That It's simple, but it really reveals to us at the core of really how important submissiveness is. But we back up and it's interesting how the world still doesn't get it. And my fear is how many Christians may not get it. A few years ago, there was a football player in high school in Texas that as he was graduating, he had been a three-time All-American. Now, if you don't know how rare that is, that's only happened three other times in the state of Texas ever. In other words, he was an All-American as a sophomore in high school. Unbelievable. And so he could go to any college he, he pretty much wanted to go to. And so he chose schools to consider based upon which one would be the most likely for him to win the Heisman Trophy. And so finally he chose one that the running back there in previous years had been the runner-up. So he thought, I could get a Heisman if I go to that college. So Tommy Nelson is visiting with his, his high school coach. And he says, so, do you, think, do you think he'll become a Heisman winner? And the coach said, nah. 
he will never carry a football in college. <laughs> that didn't make sense. A three-time All-American, he, didn't, he said, what, what do you mean? He's asking, will he win a Heisman? And the football coach saying, he won't even carry the ball in football, in, in, in college. And he says, listen, this kid has character issues. He will never succeed. Sure enough, four colleges later, he dropped out for the final time. Two times he was let go. Two times he quit. The last anyone knew about him, he was in a common law marriage and he wasn't succeeding in the secular world at all. How valuable is work ethic? Integrity, honesty, self-discipline. You see, that's what people will list. That's what the secular world will list. And I'm afraid that oftentimes that's what Christians will list. But you know what the real problem was? The secular world won't talk about this. The real problem was he didn't know how to submit to authority. Why is it that we do not value One of the things that the Lord values the highest. Why is it that we struggle to appreciate what God is trying to get us to see? This will bless your marriage. This will bless you in the workplace. This will bless you in a relationship with your children. But listen, most importantly, this is what will bless the kingdom. Far more important than what it would do for us individually. Instead... We like to say things like this. Oh, I have rights. Oh, no, that, that's my right. You can't tell me what to do. I won't be anybody's slave. I don't answer to anyone. And even parents say, Oh, I don't, I don't want to tell my children what to do. You see, now we not only have the problem with not submitting... But we've created a culture where people do not want to be righteous authority. And so we have children growing up, not having boundaries, not feeling secure, running wild. And then the ones that are the adults are saying, I wonder why they're like that. Have you looked in the mirror lately? How much do you value submissiveness? How much do you value authority? And if you don't have God's plan activated in your life for authority and submissiveness, you can't properly raise children. Your children will have to overcome what you have done to them. You can't have a marriage the way God has designed it unless you appreciate the authority of the headship of the home and the submissiveness that belongs underneath that authority. And if your marriage is ever going to be spiritual, it'll have to be changed. There'll have to be repentance that takes place to have this. Listen, all I'm trying to get you to see at this point is, it's not an option. Right now, I could open up a can of worms, and a lot of people in this room would get real defensive. I could say, do you think that we ought to have same-sex marriage? And immediately someone would say, that is redefining the holy institution of marriage that God has designed. And we don't have a right to do that. Exactly. Now, do you have a right to do it, husband? Are you willing to be the authority in your family? 
Or have you decided to do what same-sex marriages are doing? You're going to redefine marriage. Wives, are you willing to submit to your husbands? If you're not, you've redefined marriage. You are just as guilty as the one that says, I want same-sex marriage. Both are a major redefining of marriage. The answer should lie in us considering these questions. What does rebellion do to our family? What are we missing if we decide to flee from submissiveness and, and, and God's design of authority? What are we creating? Why should we submit? And the passages that we're going to have to run through quickly in just a moment in 1 Peter, and I hope this will lead you to do some lot deeper, further study. It's not a long book, but it's a book that many times is misrepresented, and I'm going to put it on the back of we misrepresent 1 Peter because we don't like the topic of submissiveness. And, and here's what we read when we read 1 Peter. The reason we ought to be submitting is, number one, it's a command of God. Isn't that interesting? We have to decide if we're going to submit to God and see if we're going to obey the command of submission. But number two, we ought to submit because it blesses the kingdom. It's not just about you. When I said it'll make your life better, I was talking about your spiritual life. Sometimes submission makes our physical life worse, a lot worse. And the question is, will we submit for our spiritual life's sake and more than that, for the kingdom's sake, And that's the question of whether or not we ought to submit. It's a command. It blesses the kingdom. It honors God. And we'll see this from the passages we're about to read. And fourth, it is like Christ. When we say, I want to be a Christian, a Christian is somebody that is Christ-like. And that's what Christ did when he came to this earth, was submit. On this next slide, I'd like for you to see an outline, not per se an outline of the whole book, but I'd like for you to see some, some thoughts outlined from First Peter. And what I said a while ago, if you open up a lot of commentaries, what you're going to read is First Peter is a book of hope. I am not arguing with the fact that in the time of great persecution, Peter was written as an epistle to give hope to the people that were suffering. That's fair. That's fair. But the problem is, why don't we ever talk about it in the whole context that it was written? It was written about suffering, but the book was written to tell individuals, you continue to submit to authority even when they are the ones creating suffering in your life. Oh, now I get why we don't like to emphasize that. Because we like to teach our kids that if they're suffering, you need to stand up and defend yourself. We like to say to ourselves in the workplace, well, listen, I had to do that. I had to say that. I had to do that. They were mistreating me. Wives like to say, oh, you don't understand. He's a horrible husband. That's why I don't submit to him. And then we have to come back and we have to look again. It's a command of God because it's best for the kingdom. It honors God because it's the most like Christ. Look down through here. In 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 11, 12, we see the principle that leads off all of this. In 13 and 17, we see that we're told we're smit to the governing authorities. In 18 through 20, we're smit to masters. And 
and 21 through 25, he pauses there to just say, this is the calling. If you've, call, if you've been called to be a Christian, all of us have been called. The question is, have we answered the call? And he says, if you've answered the call, it means that your example is Christ. And he came to this earth to suffer as he submitted to the authority around him. And 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, he's talking to wives, submit to their husbands. In 1 Peter 3 and 7, and you'll notice how this one is in blue because the word submit is not in this text, but he is teaching that husbands ought to submit. And hopefully we can look at that in just a moment. 1 Peter 3 and, and chapter 3 and chapter 4, the rest of the third chapter and the fourth chapter is about everybody submitting in the midst of suffering. And then in the fifth chapter, we read about shepherds, and that's in blue too, because it doesn't use the word submit, but the teaching there implies that they are to submit to the great chief shepherd that is above them. And then in the fifth chapter in verse 5, we see that we're taught that the younger are to submit to the older. In other words, you can't go many paragraphs without seeing the word submission and you can't read any paragraphs without that being the topic. The topic of 1 Peter is, are you and I, remember last week's lesson, chapter 1 was an introduction to the book of 1 Peter. What's the book of 1 Peter about? It's about submitting even in the time of suffering. And what was the setup? The setup was, remember, you're pilgrims. You have feet that do not belong to this world. But you know what? If you're going to make it as a pilgrim in Christ, it's going to cost you a lot. So your faith is going to have to be genuine. Remember, we studied that last Sunday night. You have a faith that's genuine. You'll stay faithful even in the time of suffering. Do you have a holiness? Remember, it's a mind that is dedicated to holiness that you will be holy in all your conduct, even when you are being persecuted by the ones that have authority over you. And will your soul be pure, purified by the word of God? In other words, you will live with the word of God being the authority in your life, not what you want in your life. And so with this in mind, I'd like for you to look with me in 1 Peter, the second chapter. Some of these, we're just going to have to look at various parts of it. I'd like for you to see here, though, the principle that's laid out. 1 Peter 2 and 11, 1 Peter 2 and 11, the text that was read capably a few minutes ago, he says, Beloved, I beg you as a sojourner and pilgrim, notice this, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We are in a spiritual warfare. Having your conduct honorable. Remember previously he said conduct holy. It's the same kind of conduct here. And even among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. To break this down in a quicker manner, look at this slide right here. Notice he says, the good here is that we abstain from the fleshly lust. Now the bad, or we could just say the reality is that there's a spiritual war going on against our soul where we could have lustful thoughts to say, I want to do what I want to do. Lustful doesn't always mean sexually immoral. It's just the idea that I want something that's against God. And so he says, okay, over here you can choose to do God's will and abstain from this fleshly lust that could rule your life. Now, the good is, if we do this, we have conduct that's honorable. Pause here for a moment. If I just do what's right, God is going to take care of me and I'll never have suffering. Fast forward. No, you're going to be doing what's right. And while you're doing what's right, people are going to be out here persecuting you. They're going to be speaking evil. See there, they're going to be speaking evil against you as you're choosing to do the right thing. So what's the good? The good is, the Lord says, I want you to continue doing the right thing 
while people persecute you. And the positive effect is that will be the loudest sermon that they will hear at that point. And notice that last phrase. They're going to observe your good works while you do the right thing in the midst of persecution. And he says, and then they'll glorify the Father. That sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? That we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Okay, so let's, let's look at these breakdowns. And, and again, all we can do in the time that we have is mention them to you. And I hope it intrigues you enough that you'll go home sometime this week and study these chapters deeper. The first breakdown that he gives in 1 Peter, the second chapter in verse 13 is to submit to the governing authority. See there in verse 13, the king is supreme. 14, the governing authority is over us. Why? In 15, this is the will of God. Why? The rest of 15, that you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not as using a liberty as a cloak or vice for a bondservant of God, honoring all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the king. I'd like for you to think about these four things. What are we taught here? Submit. This particular time, it's submit to government and all all those that are in authority. Number one, you submit. You submit how? Why, Why do we do this? It is the will of God. Submit even if we're being mistreated. Keep in mind, Nero would have been the one that was in command at this time. He was the one that came in command at 17 years of age, committed suicide at 31 years of age, and had thousands upon thousands of Christians killed in between. He loved to murder. And so here, Peter probably died, we we believe, uh, that he died at the hands of Nero. And so here, he is writing saying, I want you to submit to government, knowing that it was government that was creating pain in the lives of Christians. And you say, why do you want us to do that? And he says, because that silences the people. You know, in 1805... In 1805, missionaries gathered in New York with a bunch of Indians, and they pleaded with the Indians to become Christians. And Red Jacket was the leading chief among the chiefs that had gathered, that spoke up. And first thing that he said to them was, why does the white man read out of one book and speak so many different things out of it? That's a good thing for us to answer even today. But then notice the next thing he says, brother... We are told that you have been preaching to the white people. And this is what the Indian chief said. We've told that you've been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you have to say. What if people... What if the people at your workplace and the people in your family and what if the neighbors on your street, what if they decide whether or not they want to consider Christianity, not based upon what the Word of God says, not based upon what God has done or hasn't done, based solely upon you. Oh, that's a Christian. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't care anything about becoming a Christian. I was reading a sermon John MacArthur uh, preached several years ago this past week. And uh, he told about one of their elders in the congregation that regularly invited people to church. And so he invited this high, high-powered lawyer in Las, Ve- Los Angeles. And he invited him to church. And he says, well, where do you go to church? And he told him, he said, I will never come to your church. 
He said, come on, I'm just giving you an invitation. I'd love for it. He said, I will never. He says, aren't you being a little judgmental to say you won't come to a church you've never been to? He says, trust me, I will never come to your church. And finally pressed him. He says, why do you say that when you've never visited? He said, you have an attorney that goes to that church that is known throughout this entire city of being the most dishonest attorney in this city. John MacArthur was so disturbed, he got up the very next Sunday and he told that story. And he says, if he's talking about you, you either need to repent or you need to stop telling anybody that you go to church. Now, listen, that's not John MacArthur's thinking. And that's not that Indian's thinking. That's exactly the verses we've just read. When you and I go out and live life, What we do in times of trial, in times of pain, proves that we are very different from the world when we suffer righteously and patiently. We show the world that there is something different about us. And God says that is what silences the people that at first are speaking evil of us. And so then when, when we look, To the second chapter, verse 18, he has the same principle taught to masters and servants. And what we'll probably do, I'm just going to show you some slides and we'll come back either, I don't know if it's tonight or a later date, but but I want to show you the rest of this. But just to get this, look at this, the masters and servants, the submission is not just to good servants. It was the servants that were persecuting you. They were harming you. And he says, that's the ones that you have to submit to also because that's what does the most for the kingdom's sake. And then when he comes down, First Peter, the third chapter, he's talking to wives and he tells them to submit. And, and he's not telling them just to submit to the good husbands. He's telling them you also submit to the unbelieving husbands. And then when he comes to First Peter, the third chapter, verse 7, he also says, husbands, likewise. In other words, this whole language throughout the book is about submissiveness. And of course, husbands are to submit to Jesus Christ. There in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, in verse 3, we see that that submissiveness is to Christ. And then if we looked at Paul's version, if you will, of this teaching, he says in Ephesians, the sixth chapter and verse one, that children are to submit to the mothers and fathers. And then when we look in the fifth chapter and verse one, we see the teaching that elders are shepherds and they are to surrender, if you will, in verse four, their lives to the chief shepherd because they're going to give an answer and be rewarded by him. And then in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter in verse five, we read, likewise, you younger people submit yourself to the elders. And then the following verse is, it's all about humility. Notice this. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Now, people do the same thing in Ephesians 5 and 21. And they say, see, we're all submissive to each other. That is not what he's saying. He's saying in all of the roles that I have taught you about submissiveness, now you submit in your role. Never in the scriptures will you read that government is supposed to submit to us. Elders are supposed to submit to the members. Husbands are supposed to submit to wives. Parents are supposed to submit to children. That's not what he's talking about when he says all of us submit. He's saying in the role that he has given. Now the question is, really what we're doing today, will you appreciate the topic of submissiveness? 
Will you submit? And see, it comes down to humility. See that? Clothed in humility. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So, I ask this question to you. Will you demand your rights? Or will you demand God's holiness? I wish we had time to put a lot of meat in that and and a lot of application to that. We'll come back and do that maybe tonight. Maybe we'll stick with the pattern. We'll figure out which way to go over the afternoon. But here's what I hope all of us figure out this morning. If our idea has always been to bow up and say, it's my rights and I'm going to demand it, I need to realize this morning that could not be further away from Christianity. If your intention is to go to work and demand your rights, if your intention is to go home and demand your rights, if your intention is to stand in the church family and demand your rights, we speak God's will loudly through submission. And I hope we can appreciate that. And I hope we can see that that is what furthers the kingdom. That is a powerful sermon for anyone to hear. We love places where there is order because where there's chaos, there's always a lot of pain and confusion. God wants, think about His three institutions. He wants the family, He wants the government, and He wants the church to be places of order. We've looked at all three of those out of 1 Peter this morning. The only way they can be places of order is for us to appreciate His design of authority and submissiveness. If you're ready to submit to God, it's nothing small. He will ask you to suffer and not give up. He will ask you to give your all and not give up. If you're willing for that kind of submissiveness where you submit your life to the Lord in everything... We'd love to help you find that way with Him. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or if you want to come back to Him for your life to be restored, our hope and our prayer is that all of us are working on the relationship that God would want us to have. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.